Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Where is Darlene? Dr. Harrington is no longer part of the Fillmore facility. I will be taking care of you now. Where did she go? I can't talk about that, Alicia. You know that. You are no good to me. She's the only thing keeping it from taking this entire place. Keeping what from taking this entire place? You know nothing. You are no help to me. Alicia, please. Let me try. Total darkness. How do you feel, Roland? Scared. Why are you scared? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing at all, Roland? Nothing. So what are you scared of? The gloam. And what is that? It's everything. And where does the gloom live? Everywhere. I see. Well, where is it right now? Behind you. Well, what about Dr. Harrington? What kind of things did you two like to talk about? No. No what? It's none of your fucking business. I only want to help you, Alicia. Bring her back, then. I'm afraid I cannot do that. Then what are we doing here? Roland, what were some things that you and Dr. Harrington used to talk about? Not your business. Not your business. I want to help you, Roland. Liar. Use a liar. Patient is willfully shutting down the conversation. Liar! Refusing to continue. Liar! 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 Roland, Mm. please. No! Down. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Get away. No. These tapes occurred after Darlene's removal from Fillmore. Dr. Lasher attempted to extract information from the surviving members of the Fillmore Four that could aid him in having her medical license revoked. He was unsuccessful. The teens maintained a strong bond of collective silence. The more I dig into this case and uncover, the more myriad of Pandora's boxes I am opening. I feel lost at sea, but past the point of no return. In my continued journey, I uncovered the files for a curious case that existed within the walls of Fillmore in the 1950s. 
the files of a patient named Marable Francis. I'm scared. It's okay to feel scared. We're here to help you, Marable. They come for me. They make me hurt. Who's making you hurt? They. Where are they, Marable? Can you describe the gloom? It's scary. What does it want from you, Arabelle? It wants to come back. They want wants everyone. They want everyone to die. The fragment of interview you just heard was conducted by Dr. Lasher at Fillmore in the 1950s. Accompanying the recording were photographs of the session. Bar the scratching sounds on the tape, Lasher's voice shows no signs of aging. Neither does his appearance. I compared the photograph of Lasher in this session you just heard to the early 90s. In 30 years, you'd think Lasher hadn't aged a day. So now, not only do we have a delusion that seems to have transcended the decades, but we also have a psychiatrist involved in all of the cases who seems to hold the key to the fountain of youth. This is Lifting the Rug, a production of RFE Radio, where we explore hidden secrets, unsolved mysteries, and shine a light for justice. I'm Samantha Williams, and together, let's venture back into the gloom. Episode 7, Disappearing Act. Sam, I was wondering when I was going to hear from you. Mark, it was the hospital director, Dr. Lasher. He's the one responsible for everything. I've got him figured out, but those bastards let him get away with it. Come on, Samantha. That's what you said about Darlene at first. No, This one's different. I got them. I got them all. Who? The city! The state! The the Department of Fucking Health! All of them! The whole goddamn system! That's a stretch. What evidence do you have to support any of this? Lasher was microdosing the kids with DMT. Only he wasn't microdosing. Darlene found out, and she was trying to stop him from within the facility to help the kids. But no one in any of the bureaucracies are willing to admit to any of the faults, even after the evidence points that way. And there is something else, something stranger, something I've uncovered on the tapes. I'm hearing things, stuff that shouldn't be there. Even Tom heard it. Wait, 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 stop. You don't have a story. You still have speculation at best. Where is the systemic part? They are all in it together. I could tell by the way they spoke to me. They could just not want to talk to another conspiracy theorist. Where is the negligent doctor? You have an accusation by a disgruntled psychologist and Dr. Harrington, but the board never found Lasher guilty. It's because they had a vested interest to cover it up. And yet... Mark! The same person who made the accusation was found to have put the kids' lives in danger. Starting to sound like a late-night Reddit post. You are being an asshole, Mark. You're just like them! No, I'm being diligent. 
and you need to step it up and have something more concrete that won't result in a lawsuit or someone discrediting our network's entire body of work just because you wouldn't do your homework. What about this stuff on the tape? There are weird names being called out, and I even heard my name. And my apartment was broken into. I understand, Samantha. I understand. You were under a lot of strain due to this case. You have done so well under the circumstances. Perhaps it was a bit early to put you on this type of project by yourself. I take full responsibility. You are not fucking taking this story away from me, Marcus. It's Mark. Look, maybe you should take some time off. I'm not taking time off, Marcus. Talk to Tom. He heard it too. I have talked to time. He never got a call from you, Samantha. Wait, what? I don't know what's going on with you right now, but quite frankly, I'm pretty disappointed with how you're handling this story, Samantha. I I gotta go. I'll call you back later. I figured this is a nice place. You owe somebody money or something? You keep looking over your shoulder. I'm just being cautious. Where I'm from, people tend to stay away from people with your mannerisms. They don't want to get trouble for themselves. We should be fine here, though. This whole investigation has all but fallen apart entirely. There's no story here, Johnny. Everything is so all over the place. So nonsensical. I I just have to start wrapping things up. Maybe after all of this, everything that happened at Fillmore was just a bunch of bad stuff combining together to cause a really unfortunate event. So you mean you like all the rest of me? No. I just... You know. I don't even believe you. I can see it in your face. I heard it on the phone before. You're in it. Too deep to go back. It's got you, hasn't it? I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. That's why you're here. Talking to me in person. I know you hear it. It's just always there. It's all encompassing. I've fallen into a black hole. And in that darkness, I'm surrounded by all of their voices, lost in a world of ghosts. How how do I make it stop? I'm going mad. You really frustrated me for a while there. Always so close. But your prejudice and pursuit of what you thought was happening blinded you this whole time. But now you see it. Here, take this. What is it? It will enlighten you. It's the last thing I'm going to help you with. You might want to record what you see when you open it. This has a tendency to go missing every now and then. And uh, sometimes it changes. Goodbye, Samantha. Wait, Johnny. What? Johnny! He'd given me one of the last pieces of connective tissue he had left to his sister. He had given me her diary. At first, I 
thought that the gloom I was chasing was a metaphor. But as I read these pages and watch the decay of this young woman, I understand now that aside from the figurative monsters of everyday reality, the literal ones hide beneath their flesh and make them do unspeakable things. Alicia had an understanding that whatever was haunting her and the others at Fillmore was real. Don't they always? As the attacks escalated in intensity, the victims all began to feel drained of their life force. But Alicia started to record ways to fight the monster, ways to slow it down. The first step, like any infection, is to recognize the symptoms that you've been infected. The gloom only allows you to hear and see what it wants you to hear and see. Alicia describes ways to manage herself while subjected to this domination of the gloom. She describes the help of Darlene. Seemingly, meditative practices had some impact. Controlling emotions like fear and anger seemed to have helped. Being self-aware that the entity is manipulating you. Whether real or not, the mechanism is the same. If Alicia could manifest something into existence with her mind... Perhaps she could suppress it, too. There are a series of drawings that Alicia has sketched into her diary. They vary from abstract images akin to Rorschach ink blots through definitive symbols, almost like letters in some lost language. Sigils. I don't know what is going on. But I am going to continue to record as much as I can. I better get out of here and keep moving. Just keep moving. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
On the evening of November 16, 1993, a fire broke out on Ward 9 of Fillmore Psychiatric Center. When the flames were extinguished, Alicia Higgins and Roland Irby seemingly disappeared into the smoke. Darlene was found in a storage closet, disheveled, reeking of gasoline and trembling uncontrollably. After emergency room doctors determined that she was ultimately unharmed, she was transported to the 113th precinct in Jamaica, Queens, where she was questioned and then released due to a lack of evidence. Any evidence linking Darlene to the fire was circumstantial at best. Darlene did face a hospital review board hearing in which she was relieved of her duties at Fillmore. A state hearing soon followed in which she was stripped of her license to practice medicine in New York. A civil suit was filed against the hospital and Darlene by the families of the missing and deceased children. The families won and a settlement was reached. A judgment was placed on Darlene and NDAs were signed by all involved. Unfortunately for Dr. Lasher, his charred remains were found at the scene of the Ward 9 fire. He was identified through dental records. The surviving members of the Fillmore 4 incident are shrouded in mystery and infamy. There have been rumors and reported sightings of Alicia and Roland all around the country, moving from place to place, but there is nothing concrete. Johnny hasn't heard from his sister since that night. Darlene left the state of New York, and rumors persist from time to time that she is living under an assumed identity and practicing medicine in lower-income areas in a number of states, such as Michigan, Texas, and Oregon. In the scattered reports about Darlene or her aliases, people describe a woman that is cold, single-minded in her work, and at times apathetic. A far cry from the woman we heard on the tapes. On the night Lasher died in that fire, it's almost as if Darlene took on his persona. It got me curious. Though there is little to no information or pictures of Darlene since the incident, a photo surfaced on a Reddit true crime board. In the image, a woman who looks a lot like Darlene is seen entering a hospital purported to be located in Texas. Could this be Darlene living under an assumed identity? She would be in her 60s by now, but the woman in the photograph doesn't look a day over 35. Wow. What do you make of it, Doctor? Symbols, sketches, long passages. But does it make any sense? Well, to her, I'm sure it does. You're the expert, Dr. Glassman. Have you got any insight you can share? Have you seen this kind of thing before? Well, yes. Journaling, like you're seeing, as bizarre and abstract as it may appear to us, is an outlet for the person who is suffering. It, it's a way for them to organize and reconcile what they're experiencing. And it doesn't necessarily mean that just because you draw a monster, you're actually seeing a monster. Yes, but look what she wrote here next to the drawing. Alicia wrote, It came for me, the blackness. I couldn't make it out, but it wrapped itself around me, around my throat. 
It got tighter and tighter. I don't remember them pulling me away, but I remember the darkness. It was everywhere when it got closer and closer. I mean, this is not something abstract. The girl saw something. It's not abnormal, but the delusion is very detailed, very specific. The corporal nature, the lore, even the symbology. As I said the last time we spoke, to the patient, it is as real as you or I sitting here. What about the symbols and those descriptions of the entity, of the gloom? That detail surely doesn't just come from nowhere. Well, it probably does. But I'm sure it is influenced by something from the real world, something the patient sees. Sometimes it's benign. I, I don't know. Maybe a a documentary or a meme or something she saw years ago. Who knows? But the mind can do wonders to fill in the gaps. So are you saying that this stuff could be real? Or at least based on reality? Quite possibly. The first thing I learned studying journalism is to be as impartial as you can be. The second is to never make the story about yourself. I get it. I get the reasons why. But I've been struggling with both recently. And if I'm honest, I don't see it as a negative. Maybe it takes someone like me to tell a story like this. At least to stick with it when no one else wants to. When I was a young girl, I found my mother dead at home. I couldn't believe that she would leave me alone. I couldn't understand why she killed herself. I couldn't understand her reality. I suffered, pushed people away, and became more isolated. I knew everyone was out to get me or or didn't care, so I lashed out. I did terrible things to myself and others. I fought. I stole money. I hurt people. But mostly, I remember the feelings it gave me. My life was out of control, when I cut myself, or I did those crimes, I was the one in control. I was the one calling the shots. No one could touch me. When they found me bleeding out from slit wrists in the hospital library, my reality had changed. It's come full circle. I had a glimpse of my mother's reality that I failed to understand all those years ago. I've learned how to manage these feelings over the years through countless hours of therapy and self-work. My understanding of reality is shifting once again. I can feel it in every atom that makes up the fiber of who I am. And if hard work was the answer before, perhaps the hard work of this story to figure it out will put those demons that haunt me to bed. We're here at NYU speaking to Dr. Philip Decker, an anthropologist and professor who is known as a sort of linguistics detective. Is that a fair description, Dr. Decker? I mean, hey, I have a podcast that points in that direction. People listen to it and tell me they learn things. It charts. But yeah, it's kind of like blast podcasts on the left meets you're wrong about. So, Dr. Decker, 
<laughs> Phil, call me Phil. Dr. Decker sounds a bit silly. Okay, uh, Dr. Phil. <laughs> no, that sounds worse. <laughs> Just Phil. Phil. Yeah. So, um, this writing, uh, this kid's journal, the symbols she scrolled, it's fascinating. Why is that? See here, these two symbols. This one is from Southeast Asia, this from the Levant, both about 27 to 3200 years B.C. They look pretty similar, right? Yeah. But the symbols in your journal, it's similar to them, but much simpler and grouped differently. So what, this is some language of an advanced, long-lost civilization? Is that it? I don't want to speculate on Atlantis or transcendent civilizations or any of that new-agey stuff. But what you have here is the equivalent of discovering a Toyota Prius in the Middle Ages. Wow, that's... Well, what's more interesting to me is how on earth a teenage girl is writing a dead ancient language in her journal. Could she have made it up? I doubt it. Especially if she has no extensive experience in linguistics. I don't suppose you believe in possession. No. No, I'm not a religious man. Well, do you have a better explanation? Hmm, no, but that doesn't prove it's the correct answer either. What about the demons? There are scribblings of demonic names. Oh, yes, these are quite common. I don't know. Maybe they came from the insert of a heavy metal album or something. <laughs> Don't worry, kiddo. Stories are just stories. They can't physically harm you. But what if they could? I guess an idea can harm. I mean, look at ISIS or QAnon. Hell, even the Russian Revolution. An idea passed on them mutates and causes... Ideas can take on a life of their own. So you're saying that what this kid was writing about was real? The, the gloom? What I'm saying is stories are saying it's real. Doesn't mean it actually is. Stories are an ability to explain the world, the unknown. It's how to put the kids to bed or well, keep them up. But you are not dismissing them out of hand. Well, of course I can't say one God, For the life of me, won't someone step up and provide a definitive answer? Is it a thing? Is it a person? Is it multiple persons? Is it all in their imaginations? Yes, that's the point. We don't know all the answers. In science, we don't always do. It's not a place for milk and cookies and warm, fuzzy feelings. In science, you must learn to embrace the unknown. But, Doctor... Uh, Doctor Decker... I'm sorry, I have a class to teach soon. Can we pick this up later? Sure. Mark. Where the hell have you been? I haven't heard from you in two weeks. You haven't returned my calls or emails. Are you okay? I haven't been sleeping. I... I'm... Oh no, Mark. I'm really not... I'm scared, Mark. Are you home? This is beyond our control. This is beyond what we can understand. It's like a virus. Once you hear it, it infects you. It's a dark force that takes over you. You want to scratch it out, but you can't. It's like Darlene said. It's like falling into an entropic abyss. You're scaring me, Sam. I need you to stay where you are. I'm coming over, and we'll find some help together. I can't. I can't wait that long. Something is after me. <gasps> oh, God. No, Mark. Mark is here. It's fucking here. What is here, Samantha? What is, what is over there? It's coming. It's coming under the door. It's... Oh, God! It's enormous. It's all darkness. 
is here! Samantha, what's happening? I gotta get out of here. Sam! Just stay on the phone with me, Merc. I need you to get to another person. Immediately. It's following me! Oh, God! Samantha! been listening to The Gloom, a production of Violet Hour Media, produced and directed by Frank Merle, written by Peter Winsutsky and Michael Azeb, music by Talib Peshkapia, sound design by John Zowski, mixed and mastered by Jean-Marc Preset, executive produced by Cassie Josephoff, Lynette Tachelle is the voice of Samantha, Charles Riffenberg is Mark, Michael Clark is Johnny, Carrie Weeder is Darlene, and Tobin Bell is Dr. Lasher. The Fillmore Four are Hunter Johnson, Veronica Johnson, Angeline Labrie, and Spencer Ortega. Additional voices by James Cowan, Galen Howard, Jake Kaufman, Aaron Killeen, Keith Korneluk, Danielle Today, and Eileen Dietz as Dr. Glassman. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.